What's good, family? It's your boy, Daniel James II, and I'm your host right here on Black Voices on the Hill. Black Voices on the Hill is a podcast and radio show for the culture. We center Black lives, we amplify Black stories, and enhance the Black experience at Cornell, Greater Ithaca, and beyond. Black Voices on the Hill topics range from racism, police brutality, colorism, sexism, to Greek life, leadership, and white elitism in the Ivy League. Black Voice on the Hill envisions a Cornell that's sensitive to the plight of his Black students, aware of the Black excellence in its college town, and unabashed about them changing the world. We see Black excellence at Cornell. We believe in Black empowerment, and we love the Black experience. Listen, Black Voice on the Hill is brought to you by WVBRFM News. To see when more new and upcoming episodes and for other Cornell and Ithaca news, be sure to follow us at WVBRFM News. Follow Black Voices on the Hill on Instagram. And Twitter, be sure to visit us at our website at wvbr.com slash black voices. Subscribe, leave us a rating, a review. Y'all gonna love this episode. So make sure that you tune in on all podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Overcast, you name it. And be sure to tune in right here on WVBR 93.5 every Friday at at 2 p.m. And the episode releases the following Tuesday at 11 a.m. Listen, I have a very special guest in the studio, okay? Uh, Listen, he's someone... That is, I believe, very much loved on this campus. Uh, he is someone I've known since I was a freshman. I consider him a brother since d- day one that I knew him. Uh, and uh, he is definitely adored by many as a black male role model. Uh, he hails from Harlem, New York. He is a brother um, of the Alpha Chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Um, he's been leader of BSU before and so many other roles that he's taking on. I have none other than Mr. Lasan Bagayoko. Say hello to the people, Lasan. Hello, thank you for that introduction. I want to start off by saying thank you for having me. Um, shout out Black Voices on the Hill. Um, I really want to make it so that um, I'm able to kind of share um, whatever you kind of have in mind. I think that uh, I don't even know where to kind of start. I'm really just excited to be here. Thank you for having me, really. I don't want to just start to ramble. I'm a rambler, so. I yeah, yeah, no, man. I want you to. I, I'm so excited for what you have. To, you know, it's it's easier to talk to you too because um, you have a passion. You have a passion that I've noticed since you were a freshman for everything that you put your hand to do. Uh, I remember when we were both freshmen, we were both like going to law school, and I remember the way the sign used to talk about law school was just always on another level. And uh, I don't remember what, if we had a class together, or econ or whatever it was or something yeah. like that. I think we did have that. We had micro, I think maybe micro and macro we had together. And uh, I want to know where that passion comes from. Tell me where that passion uh, to do whatever you're called to do, to do it well and to do it great. Like, where does that passion come from, Lasan? I would say, um, I feel like it starts off from like where I'm from, like my family upbringing, but then also like being born and raised in Harlem, like you noted. If you're from Harlem, you know, like we just only, we exude energy, we exude passion and everything that we do. We gotta be the best, how we put our, where we put our foot in. Um, but in that same capacity, like my family, my mom and my father definitely raised me to um, everything that I'm doing, give a hundred percent. If you're gonna do it, or if you're gonna do something, do it right or don't do it at all. Um, don't waste your time and don't waste other people's time. And and like you noted, like that was kind of my mentality when I first came here to Cornell. Um, it was initially in the track of like going to law school, but really like trying to find ways to change people's lives. And I thought that was primarily through law that I can do that. 
um, after my experience here at Cornell, I see so many different avenues in which I can do that. Law still might be that route for me in the long run. Um, but that's, I think that's what ultimately drives my passion, wanting to create change for me, um, for the people around me, for the people that I care about. Um, there's a lot of, I mean, everybody, everything, there's a lot of things that could always become better. Um, and that's kind of how I look at everything in life. How can I enter a certain space or um, take on a certain opportunity and make it better? Um, and I don't always, I don't want to say I'm the best at that, but that's what I drive and I push myself to do at all times and every, in every space and everything that I'm doing. Um, and that definitely comes from like, again, that Harlem energy, but then also mixed with like my familial background, my mom and dad, both being from Mali, um, people who came from Africa with very little and worked extremely hard to like give my, me and my siblings the um, opportunities that we have. So I thank them a lot for everything that I have. And that keeps me going every single day for sure, for sure. That is absolutely beautiful. A beautiful way to tell your story and to answer that question. I think um, you're the first person, I think, with um, their home country or, or background as being from Mali on the show. So, uh, hey, that's, that's you already shout said out. Trailblazer. That's right. Yeah, shout out Bamako Mali, West Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir. People don't yeah. think I'm Malian too because I'm light skinned. It's okay. You could be <laughs> not. You could be light skinned and from Mali and you could have an accent that sounds like you're from Harlem. People hear my accent, they'd be like, yeah, he's from New York. My family, again, born in, I was not born in Mali, but my, both my parents were born and raised in Mali. I visited Mali five times over the last 20 years now. So, like, I, I definitely am in tune with my culture. Um, and I and I show a lot of love back to Mali. People that I know, Manta Musa, look it up. Right, let me hey, stop. <laughs> that's right, bro. That's right, bro. Listen, I, I want to ask you about, you talked about having this passion growing up and it really stemming from your parents and your home you know, town, Harlem, New York. And, you know, Harlem, as what I see is very much being still, and but especially at one point, I mean, known as sort of a black Mecca, you know, the center of black life. We talk about Harlem Renaissance. We talk about, you know, I'm thinking about imagery of like Malcolm X standing on corners, preaching, you know, that type of thing. That's the power. What is it like growing up in a place that has that type of history, especially in the lives of black people? And then, I want to know a little bit more about what you have seen that needs to be changed or that you want to, in what realms did you want to affect change? Or you grew up, you talked about like wanting to enter the law, the law field, and then you realized you could do that in other ways. But what did you see that made you feel like, all right, this, there is something that needs to be altered and adjusted and changed and made better, et cetera. Yeah, I think what's really unique about Harlem is like, you know, that it's kind of like the Black Mecca. It's very easy for you to like walk around on different like corners and like realize that like, I mean, Malcolm X, Malcolm X, you got MLK, a bunch of boulevard and streets named after these historical figures. But even in that same capacity, when you're in class and eventually hearing about like the Harlem Renaissance, like it's like, wow, like we're in Harlem. Um, until you go by, I walk past 125th Street all the time. I'm seeing the Apollo. I'm going to get, I'm able to go to the Schomburg Center. And dive into that history and what was really unique. Um, I feel like I didn't realize this until after I really left Harlem, had a chance to come to Cornell, that that center of um, Black history or like information related to like um, Black culture isn't available elsewhere. Um, I thought that honestly was an experience that many um, people of color, um, not just Black people, but people people in general would have access to. Um, and then I realized, like, nah, this is something unique, particularly unique to Harlem. Harlem is definitely a community. It's a unique one. It's a lot of things that's going on. 
But I think one thing that even like kind of pushed me to like be extremely passionate about what I was doing is going up in Harlem um, the way that I did um, made me realize that there were people who had a lot of resources and opportunities in the world and a lot of people who did it. Um, I, I remember writing my um, college application essay about just trying to open up the voices of the forgotten, like um, like making it so that the people who are often forgotten about in Harlem, in these spaces are able to kind of be highlighted and, and, and recognized. And again, going up in Harlem, I'm able to see people now with like, I mean, we know the flow of gentrification, Harlem being, having its historical significance, people want to come and be there. Um, people do, who do have a lot of money and as a result, or a lot of resources, as a result, you do see um, a group like, a huge divide, not for nothing. Um, and, and it's in it's in a span of a few blocks um, between like, you would see people who have an opportunity to kind of do whatever they want. And then people who more or less so generally have nothing but the clothes on their back. Um, and I feel like that made me like really passionate about kind of expanding resources and opportunities for all people. I know a lot of people don't think like this, but one way that I think is like, I mean, if you do have it and it's not something that you like particularly need, why not share with those who don't? Um, and I feel like that's what kind of pushed me towards like the realm of law, um, just primarily because I've seen that a lot of things that were limiting people was the lack of insight um, about, I guess, like like the legal system. And as a result, them being manipulated and falling into a lot of traps that led to people going to jail or like not even just that, but more or less so made it so that people who did or were informed about the law was able to take advantage of certain spaces um, so that they were able to kind of take on Harlem's history without really being a part of Harlem. Um, and so like, for example, like I grew up on 116th street for six blocks away in Central Park. Once you on Central Park, like even Central Park, that divide, like closer to the uptown side, like 110th street is a lot, it's a little raggedy. I won't lie. It's like, it's a little rougher, rougher on the edges, but the second you get past 96, you see the most pristine parks. Everything is clean. Um, there's a, the service just from the people within the park is a lot better. You don't see police officers stationed everywhere. I think that really pushed me towards wanting to make that, like I wanted that to be everywhere. I wanted that to not only be something that I, once I get past 96, I know that I'm safe or I know that things are a lot better. Um, so I feel like ultimately when I, when I look back into my experience at Harlem or like what really like kind of pushed me to want to create change, it was just wanting to make things equal. I'm making it so that people had opportunities, people like, and it, it was also like, even me taking a look at like, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in the best of circumstances, but it was always like, I always was able to recognize that like, it could be worse, you know, because I, I was able to see that on like on the block, like you're able to see like, like some people in certain, you know, it's not the best. Granted, it was not the best. It was eight of us in a two bedroom for real, you know, like it wasn't the best, but it was still a lot better than a lot of other people around me. And I, and I, and I appreciated that. And I mean, and it made me push for one and just expand the different opportunity and resources that were available for people in the area. Um, a lot of programs like Harlem Children's Zone and like the local community centers and the different housing projects is what really changed a lot of people's lives because they were literally just resources and opportunities and outlets to do things that people otherwise didn't have the opportunity to do things as simple as being like, being able to go to the library, like knowing how to get a library card, um, being able to go on trips to like the Met and to like the Museum of National History, to go to the Schomburg, to go to the Apollo, parts of Harlem history that people in Harlem never got to really be a part of because they didn't know about it. So that's something that really um, 
pushed me towards a wall when I initially came in. But I feel like with time, I'm realizing that it was it's more of just a lack of education, um, not in a not in a not in a literal well in a literal sense but more not in the way that we kind of look at oh you need a k-12 education and so i don't really necessarily look at it like that but less in a capacity of um it's minimal education and people being able to empower themselves people think that the only way that they are deemed educated is by getting a, a degree or going through they're going to the best schools but it's not necessarily that it's being passionate about your history the things that you care about um, educare, education, the root of education is to nurture and to grow. Um, and we don't spend a lot of time actually doing that. We spend a lot more time telling people take a test, pass the test, get read this and and be able to give it back to me by this date. And after that day, it won't really matter no more. But you did that. So now you're you've grown. And that's not necessarily true. Um, so that, I think that's like kind of where like even my shift in like, uh, you know, that a lot like law, but like even really seeing a, a lot of ways for us to change the way we educate people and have them look at their lives and their development. Um, that's something I'm really passionate about now. I feel like. You did y'all see him break down that word education, educaro. Is that Greek? Educare is, it, is the Latin. Is it Latin? Is it Latin? Okay. Latin. Yeah, it's, okay, it's, to, it's to nourish and to grow. That's what it to nurture. I love that so much. You talk about some big themes. You've already talked about opportunities, resources, uh, and also equality. I think that that's interesting. And you share the story about, you know, realizing that things could be a lot worse. You know, I feel like that's a lot of, when you look at students that might come from either first gen backgrounds or just um, backgrounds that may have been shaped by hardship in any way, a lot of times, that is the disposition that you have to take on to be able to to sort of persevere because that's a lot of the words that are used to describe people's experiences as well and it's it's interesting that that's a thread that i've seen across so many students is like it it's it's not great but it could be worse uh my last guest i had on miss carrie o'horn she talked about the same thing and so uh it's just and she's she's well into her 50s i believe so it's a it's a it's an interesting place a juxtaposition to sort of be in or, or a weird place to stand you've done it well and i think that you have persevered uh, past that to to get to Cornell as well. Uh, you talk about opportunities, resources, and that type of thing. You know, from my understanding, you went to public school. So what what education, what, you know, um, education informally or formally were you involved in that even made going to Cornell an opportunity or something that was within your grasp or your reach? Uh, how did you come to realize that? And yeah. Yeah, so like you know, I started off going to public school. I was in public school for elementary school up until I got into Harlem Village Academy's high school, middle school, and then high school. Actually, now I want to pause on that. I actually went to Susulu Walker as well, which is a charter school. So I did Gosh. funnel from the public school system into the charter school system. And I would honestly say, I mean, there is a distinction primarily considering the fact that charter schools just also are able to access private funds. That's really the, the primary difference. And then as a result, they create like kind of a, a mantra or like a models and things that they like are kind of focused upon so that they're able to get that private funding um but those schools honestly were both like they were both in public like partnered with public schools um just in the capacity of so Sula walker was separate but it was a block away from where i grew up um 
people know like I, I grew up in uh, housing projects like right it was a block away from there and then um which was a block away from also the public school that i went to so a lot of people as soon as that charter school did become available funded from that public school into that charter school and then harlem village harlem village academy's leadership which was the middle school i went to and the harlem village academy's high school um both at times were were inside were, were are meshed in with public schools so my middle school, we were just on the fourth floor and there were a bunch of public schools under it. And I think ultimately that experience, again, really made me think about like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I used to think that all the time. Like I have an opportunity that other people don't have. It may not be the best, but it's better than what some with what is traditionally being offered. And what particularly was unique about my education experience was people were like people were telling me that as you can say i believe that myself but the schools in and of itself still weren't the best um there was a funnel of resources but they were given to a small subset of those of students and to be honest i was not one of those small subset of students like the gifted kids however you kind of like they're, they're grouped in, in they're grouped as different students in different years and in different communities but more or less so like that small subset them 15 and 20 kids who get all the the special attention um, who get all of the resources and everyone else is kind of left um, to kind of fend for themselves. And I was definitely one of those kids who was fending for themselves for a long time. Um, and and I didn't have no problem with it just because everybody around me from my twin brother to like my best friends that I grew up with was with, like was kind of with me in that kind of, we, they were just kind of, we were the forgotten, like we were the forgotten. That's really how I look at it. Um, we weren't provided the opportunities and the funding that was available to the school and that could have been available and should have been available to all of the students there. Um, it was really a, a, a series of different things that occurred um, that made it so that I was like, I can change my life through education. Um, I just wanted the opportunity that was unlike those around me. I've seen a lot of people, I mean, it, it, it sounds cliche, but it is true. Like there was like, I'm gonna hoop, I'm gonna be a rapper. Well, I'm a, like stick to what I grew up in, which is like was the streets. And r the real reason why it deterred me from that was like no one is like as successful as I guess I imagined to be going through those routes. Um, like I didn't know no one from my neighborhood who went to the NBA. Shout out Mo Bamba. He's now in the, in the league. He was in the same. We grew up in the same neighborhood. But like besides him, like there was no one else. Um, who who successfully made it from basketball and became rich. Uh, Sheck West, I would say as well, he's also from my neighborhood. He was a rap, he's the only successful rapper that I know who grew up from my, from my neighborhood. There's a few other people who are up and coming now. But like, that's just like the honest objective truth about the fact that people were not excelling the way that I wanted, I, I seen myself excelling. And I know, I, I know those two people kind of immediately come to mind because we literally all grew up in the same neighborhood. And it was literally the options of, Sports, rap, not for nothing in the streets. Nobody was even talking about academics like ever. So I was like, I got to try something that no one else tried. And that's what really pushed me to like go from, I'm just reading this book for fun to wait, I can actually like get a good grade if I actually like just pay attention a little bit. So it really just started with me just doing my assignments. Um, and again, that's kind of like, I feel like a huge problem with the K through 12 system. Like, as much as we are grading and developing students in different ways, it really is a matter of like if you're doing it and not doing it. So I feel like it, I feel like students' poor grades is more of a testament to the fact that they were not motivated to be, do their work. 
Um, and that happens for a series of different reasons um, in which schools and curriculum and teachers can help influence and change. It shouldn't just be, it shouldn't be a general system for all different types of students. It should be interpersonalized to help motivate a student to learn and to want to grow. That's neither here nor there, but um, it's more in the vein of, I eventually just was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here through academics. Like that's the decision I made. Um, my older sister, she actually had a chance to go to private school. And she was always an extremely bright kid. I'm like she's she's still bright. She's a full bright scholar now. Um, she went to Brown University. She did her thing. She did her due diligence. But our experience was extremely different. Like she was able to get into a private school at a really young age. And again, that was that comes from like my parent pushing. If you want to do anything, do it well. So when she was doing when she was doing well in public school, they was like, yo, you can you can do well. She had people around her and teachers around who supported her and that allowed for her to go on that trajectory. But I would say like she's she and even in that same capacity, she's really like an anomaly in that sense. And I look up to her, I looked up to her a lot because it was like she has so many opportunities because she did well academically, not because she was focusing on things that other people told us to focus on. Um, so kind of with that, that really made me like kind of look for opportunities within my school that traditionally weren't offered to students like myself. Um, and it was a lot of um, back and forth with like deans and professors. I mean, teachers at the time, professors still. I think we should call our teachers professors, honestly. But um, like who did not, for lack of better terms, like me, I would say. Like I've had, I had teachers straight up when it was tough for me to apply to college and say they were not going to write me a recommendation. Um, and it is what it is. I understand and I respect it now. Like, you feel me? Like, there was things I could have definitely done better at the time. I feel like it's still kind of beastly to tell a student who's trying to go to college that you're not going to write them a recommendation for whatever reason it is. I mean, it's not. You shouldn't be entitled to a recommendation either. But what I, what I realized was that if I kind of take on certain opportunities, and the one that I really kind of adopted was coming to summer college here at Cornell, I was presented that opportunity off of a, I say now a fluke. Um, I took the PSAT, right? The PSAT or yeah. On a day that I probably wasn't even gonna plan on taking it. Um, I actually had to come to school. I had alternative instruction. If you know why I had alternative instruction, then you know why I had to come to school. And from that, I took the PSAT. All of my friends, everyone around me was like, why are we taking this? Like, it's a day off from school. Cause even my school made it seem optional. Um, and they made it seem optional. It, was, it definitely should not have been optional. And and a lot of students did come, but the only reason I ended up coming was because I had alternative instruction. I was mandated to come. Um, and, I, and I did really well. I did really well to the point where these donors who were donated to my school, more or less so, wanted me to be one of the students who provided the, those unique uniquely funded opportunities and I do want to thank the Karsh family and as well as again my teachers there at Cornell I mean I said at Cornell at Harlem Children's Zone um from Mr. Martinez I got to give him his his props who who like pushed for me to be in for, for me to be in these programs um shout out Mr. Lou as well Mr. Bonet, Mr. Prunzalon. I got to just shout out these teachers as they come to my head because they definitely changed my entire trajectory. Ms. Cook, fifth grade, changed my entire trajectory on just like academics. Um, and that with that opportunity, I came into summer college. So I did really well on my PSAT, just fast forwarding through that story. I don't want to go through all the details. I had to take the PSAT, did really well. There was like, there, we had to work with this kid. And it gave me an opportunity that everybody in the school knew was available, but only went to those top 10, top 20 students. 
Um, so I was shocked. And of course, I was like, I'm going to try to go. Why wouldn't I go to Cornell? Y'all paying for me? Of course. I came here and like my mind was blown. I was like, education is so much more than history, science, math, English, ELA, not even, you know, it's so much more than that. Um, it's so much more than um, than just being told to read something and give it back. It's so much more than just taking a test. And from taking a class here, I took International Human Rights in Theory and Practice with Professor Elizabeth Brundage. I still remember her to this day. Um, she changed that changed my entire outlook on school, like school and learning. I was like, there's so much I can do. So it went from like that initial thought of how am I going to make education work for me to having this summer college opportunity that made me come back, um, come back after a lot of, again, wild summers in the city. That was I had a 2016 summer. I was I went to Mali that summer, came back. Early. I went to Mali to kind of avoid the hecticness of the city. Um 2017, I had the opportunity to do summer college. So I was like, after that, yo, I'm, I'm locked. I was locked in my senior year too of high school. So it was like relatively late, but I was still like, nah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give up this opportunity. Um, and so I just like, I just got in the books, did really well on my SAT and my ACT, and that allowed for me to get it admitted into Cornell. Um, I applied to a series of different schools, and my application process literally was. I remember I pulled up because we had we did have a college prep class and I was now in the top 20 classes because of me going to the summer college. So now I'm with these students. It was it was a good vibe. And and it, I wasn't I was no longer with any of my friends. So that allowed for me to kind of lock in on my academics. Um, but even in that vein, what ended up happening was I literally pulled up a list. It was like a black and green list. It probably would have hacked my computer if I didn't know. But it was like um colleges that, that if you were, your family has makes under 60k you'll go for free i applied literally to those schools only because i knew my parents wouldn't be able to kind of afford for me to go to college unfortunately i was admitted into cornell as well as a series of other schools um but i think once i did get into cornell even then i wasn't like oh this is an ivy league i'm gonna go there it was just like oh this is a free school that i got into as well um but upon talking to other people um, it was just like, this is the place for you to go. And uh, I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity. One, I mean, I kept those credits. So I rolled into credit, the credit account that I have that I, that I have now ready to graduate. Um, but all in order really uh, made me, um, again, extremely appreciative for the fact that like, you can change your life through education. Um, and a lot of times, like I try not to like, I, I am... I would say the word is again, I, I feel like honestly frustrated with the fact that like these opportunities are only granted to students who who are already performing at a high scale when education again is supposed to nourish and to grow people from where they are, um, to nurture someone exactly. Like and it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be like a community for your school, um your your community center, whatever. You're really supposed to like hone in on that community. You're not supposed to have a generalized curriculum that i mean it is a guide it should serve as a guide but how are you really nurturing somebody or helping somebody grow if you don't really know the person or if you're not really working with that person and because i was putting those top 20 kids i started to get that support um so that really kind of changed my changed my outlook again on education unfortunately i was able to get into cornell and from i think the, the rest is kind of history i just kind of been flowing and going through the steps from here from there Man, uh, that is also, it's so evident in the way that you tell your story that you really have thought about this 
uh, really just how you got here is such a uh, a delicate and complex twisted uh, set of twisted turns. And I feel like you talked about you talked about a lot. First of all, what were the three options you said you felt like as a kid you had in terms of getting out of where you were from? You said the streets. You said education, and what was the third? What was that? Not it even, wasn't education. even education. What was the education? It was, what was the other thing? You gotta be a baller. Baller. You gotta be a baller, or you was rapping. Or rapping. You was, trying to, you was rapping like Davies. Shout out Davies. I shout out my guy, Mr. H, Mr. Hannon. He used to have us all. Um, I'm not even gonna name these spots because people know that, like, if you know, okay. you know, type of low spots. But like, it was very much so a vein of um, when I was. It was very much always a vein of like again sports. If you was in sports, rap, or the streets, what are the, like it was like education. As much as people say it was an option, it really wasn't. I had programs okay. like Harlem Children's Zone, like that really did like try to push that narrative. Like oh, stay in school, my charter school. Generally speaking, stay in school um, and focusing on academics. But that's not what we were being nurtured to do. You we being nurtured yes. to go hoop, to rap, or to be stay stay where you stay where you were um and i think that like that is what, what i feel like is problematic like you noted them like life is queer with this twist and turns as everyone of us sometimes learns but like it is a matter of kind of taking those twists and turns and making it something good for you there was a lot of like, like negative opportunities that i was like nah, i'm gonna make this good or try to find a way that this could relate back to education instead of what it could have been. Um, because that's what, again, the outlet that I've seen for myself. And it isn't, it is the K through 12 system, at least when I'm talking about education, like going to hire, like going, coming to college and things like that was the route that I took. It is, is not the route that everyone needs to take. I, I genuinely would say that. But when you're talking about education in the regard, in the capacity of nurturing somebody, allowing them to find their motivations and their passions, that definitely needs to be something we all take a look at. Um, again, you might not want to come to a liberal arts school and go through a, a degree program. Like that's not necessarily what everyone needs to do. But people should know about their passions. People should have the chance to be able to explore their motivations. And if K through 12 was already mandated for everyone, we should implement that through the K through 12 system, not when people are already in college. Um, or, I mean, because then by then you already have a handful of people who are not in college, um, who are not taking on this opportunity. And I think it's, um, there's various different schools of thoughts and theories that are like kind of open to this, but I really feel like we should take a lot of, I, I really, I'm pushing for taking looks at different schools of thought, um, looking outside of um, just developing people's cognitive skills. So like being able to regurgitate information ultimately and being able to focus on like people's behaviorism, people's behaviorism, developmentalism, different things like that, where um, you focus on student, people's behaviors, people's people's critical thinking skills, um, people who value morals and ethics, people who are good with their hands, um, things like that. Even as we look at this new day and age, like you're coming to realize more and more and more especially with like Google, especially with Google, they have like TikTok now, Reddit, anything. Like the information that you're asking students to provide does not make sense to ask them for, to be honest. If we're being 100, like I'm not being asked, no one is being asked to refer to a specific year or date or time. We'll be able to answer a math problem immediately because like, it is true that we have calculators. It is true that we have Google to be able to search these pieces of information. So you should know why it's important, not what exactly it is. 
And I think that that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been, I think a lot about now, because I feel like it's what deters people from school even more um, because it's so much of a focus on like knowing something that objectivity, you come to realize the teacher is telling you, Oh, do you remember this? Do you recall this? And you, you looking at them Googling it. Like, so it's like, why are you telling me, forcing me to memorize this? Well, we all know, even you talk to literally everyone, every single field, it's like, yo, that did not, that does not and did not matter. So why are we forcing students, making them literally, like quite literally go crazy if we're being a hundred, like making them feel that they don't belong or like they're not competent over things that we're all going to say five years, 10 years later, that it doesn't matter. It's, it, I think it's so detrimental to um, a person's development. And again, that's what I feel like our education system should be more focused on developing people. So good. And I was going to say about um, those options you noted, I've noticed that a lot of, a lot of black people, a lot of, you know, black young men in particular, because a lot of those careers you listed like balling, right. A lot of times that is something I see a lot of black men silent into as not even as men, as boys into this is your option, entertain us um, or nothing, essentially, essentially entertain us or nothing. And I think that you choosing the route you did, uh, it says it, it just, it says a lot about in the ways in which you are uh, radical about the way in which your life path is about to go. Uh, you also talked a lot about just opportunity and also in the classroom. I mean, those teachers, having teachers that are for you, I think is very much undervalued. I like the nuance that you give in terms of not blaming public school teachers, though, per se, or at least um, things, issues that you found in your school not being able to necessarily be solved always by admin or school, because there are a lot of different factors that contribute to that. And then I think it also, though, the onus is not on the students uh, for their their not meeting these expectations. I mean, the public school education system was designed to be punitive. And I think that that's just very true. And I think especially very punitive against Black black boys and girls. I mean, that's just, that's a fact. True. And I can, yeah. So, and I think, um, I think I can even in my own experience, I believe it or not, I had a, when I was going to uh, school, leave my public school when I was 14, 13, I had a white teacher that didn't want to write me a recommendation. And, you know, I, w- I was, I was doing everything I thought was right. <laughs> and I think that, you know, even if you, no matter what you do, if they want to to stop your pursuit of a better education, your pursuit of some type of scholarship, they definitely can. And uh, there's so many kids that get stuck in traps be, just because of that, you know. Yeah, and I, you just hit it on the head. Like, think about how, and and you and you know that, it, like you and I'm, I, I know you. So, like, it's just your perseverance and making it happen. You're like, I'm gonna make this happen regardless. But like, people should not have to think like that if we're if we're just objectively being true especially in a space that is supposed to help you grow like and, and that is what is so detrimental i feel like like you know what it isn't teachers for at all and it definitely isn't the students for it's more or less so i mean everybody says the system it is the system um the system is made and is garnered in a way so that even like particularly for public schools and public school teachers like they don't have resources they are over they're overworked they have they have a population of students who are from so many different backgrounds and being told to teach one specific thing. And granted, yes, there needs to be a centralized or a generalized thing that you can say 
um, everyone do or should be learning. However, it is problematic when um, teachers are forced to accommodate for so many different types of students, so many different types of failures within the school. Like, and I'm not, again, we're not talking about the students at all. We're talking about lack of resource. We're talking about lack of time and like lack of time management from administration, lack of transparency from school boards and the people higher up even right now like we look we take a look at the grant in the grand scheme of the if we just look at the united states government 10 percent of federal funding goes back into schools we be throwing like billions like with a b into the military like why are like you feel me why is it that our education system is being funded like or schools are only expected to get federal funding from such a small percentage comes from federal funding. I mean, we know why. It's so that these communities that do have higher taxes are better funded and are able to function better. But I think about, again, how detrimental that is to a student experience and, again, to the development of a student. And as a result, everyone around it, from the parents to the teachers to the administration. And you, it, it's, it's not even a matter of like trying to find who is to blame because the, the blame is on the system. Because we do have to work within the system, like even us being here at Cornell, like we had to work within the system. We had to, you had to eventually find a recommendation, you know, like I had to eventually say like, nah, I'm going to stop joking around. I'm going to take this test again. Like you do have to work within the system. And that's where that perseverance comes from, um, from different people in different capacities. But it isn't something that we should force upon anyone. It's not something that should be forced upon anyone. Again, I, that's not education. Um so I think about that a lot when I when I look back on my education experience. And like you noted earlier, like I feel like initially it was like, oh, I want to become a lawyer, get my get people out of jail, um, like be able to like kind of advocate for the voiceless. Um, but I think I could be able to advocate for people by empowering them to look look at education differently. Um, kind of creating programs and initiatives that allow for students to develop within the system that we do have while also changing it while also empowering students who believe that, who know and see that they can do well academically in the K through 12 system and our general education system, even in higher ed, by following the rules, by by also creating their own outlets to learn. Um, And that's what I'm really kind of looking to hopefully do within the future. Um, Again, really expand our outlook on the education, education, education programs um, and things like that. Um, Yeah. That's so good. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, there, I believe at the end of the day, like black children and black parents should have options about where their children go to school at the end of the day. Every door should be open to where they want to go to school. And I think that there are trade offs. There are trade offs for black children, black parents that decide to keep their children in, you know, public schools. There are trade offs for people that decide to go to charter school, trade-offs, a lot of trade-offs when you go to private school, especially if it's a white private school. What do you think, because the truth of the matter is like, and and the trade-off I'll talk about, you know, just sort of being in a, there are different set of circumstances, overt, covert racism, you know, that you might face in a, in a elite white private school. Um, imposter syndrome is something real that kids suffer with, you know, placing a child. I mean, the evidence and the research has already shown that placing children in white schools does not necessarily always increase graduation rates. <laughs> it's really just removing a child that's already had probably a problem, whether that's just 
whatever the the case may be that contribute that, whether it's socioeconomic status, because a lot of times it's not necessarily just intellect that keeps you in these spaces, but a lot of kids, sometimes it's the, especially for white kids, it's the semblance of, you know, privilege and wealth and resources that keeps you there. And if you don't have a school that's willing to give you that and adjust for that, it can just be displacing or removing something you view as a problem. So what do you see as a solution for uh, cause you, you talked about, you know, staying in school in Harlem, although you did go to charter school, how, what is the solution do you see as for like black parents? Like what, you know, I know you're like 20, 21, 22, whatever, but like, what's, what would you suggest for black parents that are raising, you know, a Lasan and, you know, for their children, how to educate, go about educating them? Fully. Yeah. Now I, I I hear you. There's trade-offs in every kind of everything that you end up doing in life, and and like the trade-off in trying to find the best space for your student is like um for like a black kids is is hard to look at. I'm like you know that like I did end up going to charter school, but it was in Harlem, and I would say like there was a lot of things that happened at my charter school. It was a great school, better than a lot of other schools in my community, but it was there was a lot of trade-offs that I might not want to put my kid in in the future. Um, put through in the, in the future. I think what it is is, um, and that's what I'm hoping to do, expand parent families' outlook on how they develop their students on what our school system is supposed to do. Don't want to put the burden on families. However, you like you know that some families should have the power and being able to dictate where they place their kids. Excuse me. And in that vein, like people should be able to communicate clearly what this school is going to be able to do for their kid. Yeah, schools do that already, right? But in that capacity, being able to show that within their results, and I think it should be a lot more, um, things should be a lot more tangible as opposed to being arbitrary in the capacity that schools, like, for example, I don't, I don't even want to bash a school. What we really are trying, and what I'm hoping to do is expand the outlets that we do have for students um, because the K-12 system is there. That, out, that is there. However, in what capacity are we actually developing black men? In what capacity are we actually developing black black women? In what capacity are we actually developing Latino men? In what capacity are we actually developing Latino women? In what capacity are these resources that we're providing actually centered around the development of these people from these given cultures? What's so problematic is that our systems, the systems that are in place don't do that now. So when you're talking, so when you look at now programs like Harlem Children's Song, for example, um, or like Upward Bound or like these third, more or less with these third party academic programs, what, why people funnel to them is because there's a lot more interpersonal support in the development of students. Um, there's a lot, there's a, there's a focus towards their culture and their background. And that's what parents and families should ask for immediately. It shouldn't be like, oh, um, this is a good school. You have a lot of resources. You should be able to help my student. It's how are you going to be able to help mold or nourish this black boy? How are you going to be able to mold and nourish this Asian woman? How are you going to be able to mold and nourish this white, this white boy, this, whatever, whatever you're actually looking for is what you should be approaching. And I feel like one thing in particular, I think a lot about is the fact that, um, these schools and you know that um, don't don't they can't answer that. That's why people look for these third party options. I think a lot about um, a lot of like in, in spaces like Cornell, when you're looking at a lot of like powerful, strong, like I mean, strong students 
um, strong, I, I, I want to say, and I mean, want to say it's the truth, like black women who've found outlets outside of their school to excel. Like, I mean, that's what you need. Cause there, there's like, I want to develop as I want to develop. I want to develop as a woman. I want to develop as a, as a black person. So I'm going to look for resources within my community to be able to excel. And it, you often don't find that in schools you end up you end up make you end up learning about women or different people who create affinity groups to be able to support one another you hear about people who find outlets outside of again their k-12 school public or private for them to be able to get the resources that they need and that empowers them to eventually be in these spaces that even then they still have that same driving tenacity to be able to get what they want and need um, I get, just bringing it full circle, I believe that there is a need for these schools to be able to guide and give insight directly towards one's culture, directly towards one's background. Parents and teachers, parents and te- parents and teachers, teachers as well, should be able to outline what they are looking for in their students, like what they're looking to develop within their students and say and outline within their curriculum, like in in. It, it, it is a lot. It's not, it's a lot easier said than done, but should be able to outline how this given project or this given topic of the day or this given objective or goal or aims, you know, how it, how it, how it is not only what you're learning, but how it's going to support that student at that time. If it's not going to do that, man, it's, it, it isn't as effective as it, as it, as it could be or should be. And again, that's a lot easier said than done. I think that's kind of what I'm hoping to kind of work on making something consistent and reproducible, not only in like underprivileged mind communities, but all over. Um, Cause I think that that's really what I'm hoping. I'm re- that's what I'm really hoping to, to kind of change um, the different outlets and opportunities that are available to students in the way that again, teachers and parents look at these opportunities. Um, I hope that answers your question. I know that I kind of, I feel like every time I talk about education, I end up hopping all over the place because there's so many things that come to mind and I don't want to just start talking about different theories and and things like that. Absolutely. And I think that you have such a thorough knowledge of it. It's evident to me. So I I like the fact that you have talked about this sort of multi-pronged approach, approach. but one thing that really stuck with me is doing something that works for the child. And I think that that's very, you know, and making sure that this standardizing, because that's really what public school education does a lot of, doesn't kill the personal growth that needs to happen in the life of the child for them on their educational route and journey. So I think that that's that's really important. You talked about Cornell already. So let's move to Cornell. I, I read a stat recently and I presented it at a workshop I did on Saturday talking about how um, I said 60% at the time. It's it's a little bit higher. It's about, or at least as of 2013, 2015, something like that. I believe 69% of black men ended up, end up that come to Cornell end up actually graduating. And it's it stands in stark contrast, I believe, to black women and just a lot of other populations in particular. Uh, you're... You've done work with swag, and then you're a brother in Alpha um, Phi Alpha, the Alpha chapter. You're a brother of the Alpha chapter of Alpha Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. So these are all sort of black fraternal, black male brotherhood, you know, hubs on campus. I want you to talk a little bit about just, and you can also talk about BSU work as well, but I, I noted this because it was catered to a specific group of people. And I feel like I talked about this at the workshop. We talked about just 
feeling like there were voids or gaps in in what in black male leadership. What was black the black leadership from a man? What does that look like on you know our campus? And then you know just filling that gap and creating that space for young black men that matriculate into Cornell. What work have you done and what work do you believe needs to be done at Cornell to better facilitate, you know, black young men that come in at 18, 17, 19, whatever, um, succeeding, thriving and, and, and successfully graduating from Cornell? Yeah, um, I would say, and you noted it, and it starts, I feel like from my experience, it did start with BSU. Um, immersing myself in a community in which uh, other Black people were willing to support me. And I was in the, I was on the executive board as a freshman rep. And so I had a lot of upperclassmen um, to just be able to kind of guide and can give me support and insight about what to do while I was in this predominantly white institution with so many opportunities, so many resources. And it's very easy to feel that imposter syndrome being somebody that did not initially know of all of the things that were available here and feeling like I just didn't or could not belong here as a result and that eventually geared me towards alpha um not really not immediately there was a various other organizations i came in between that i was a part of like you know the scholars working ambitiously to graduate swag which is primarily focused on helping black men graduate and and even in that organization it's a mentor it's a mentor it's mentorship based it's mentorship focused because being able to provide insight just about just so people don't make the same mistakes that you potentially did or people in the past may have made um, makes all the difference from knowing what classes to take to knowing what classes not to take to knowing who to actual resources to know who not to actual resources. It's different things like that that really made I feel like my trajectory through these different spaces. I feel like I'm very smooth. I mean, ultimately, after um, pledging and joining the almighty Alpha chapter of Alpha Fraternity Corporate for the 2019, that really changed my entire outlook of just um, how I could serve and support people on this campus because I was given an influx of insight, um, over a century of insight about how Black men conducted themselves at Cornell um, and what allowed for them to excel. Um, what's really funny is not too long I was um, speaking with, and we was at that meeting together, and I actually brought up that note when I was speaking to the um, this 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 the, the uh, vice president. I was in his office, and he had a hundred top Cornellians of all time, and I'm like, I was looking through the book, and there's no black people in that book. The first black person I eventually did find it was in. Um, 1944. It was a brother of 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 um of the chapter, um, and he worked for the Reagan administration. Um, and 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 but what was most notable in that was even in, in the insight that I was able to get within my chapter from the fraternity is that he was given such guidance and support from other people with in Cornell before him. That's what made him made it so that he's now in the top 100, um, or recognized as the top 100 Cornellian. So I feel like one thing that kind of just led me to wanting to be a leader was wanting to give insight to other black men, other black people, other black students, anybody, honestly. Um, people reach out to me all the time kind of from being an engaged ambassador as well for the Office of Engagement Initiatives or not, I am an ambassador. Um, that made it so that I was able to give people direct insight on like leadership development and was actually given a lot of different resources about the difference between helping, fixing and serving. Um, how like to actively engage with certain community partners so that you're not necessarily just doing it for a moment, but you're actually a part of that community. You're creating the change that you want to see, but that they want to see. 
because um, you know it isn't always about what you want and i felt like that's something that i really immersed myself into being here at cornell um i'll be lying to say that it was like easy um that i i, I would and, and i say that only just because there isn't a lot of people like i mean like we was kind of talking about you when you're thinking about just like black male graduation there's a lot of people kind of take on the time um, or the initiative to want to support other people within their community because a lot of people here at Cornell, but particularly, um, I, I would say black men are focused on like, I gotta, I gotta take it on my back and I gotta do well. I'm not focused on anybody else who ain't helping me. And if it ain't helping me and you will come to realize Cornell in general is not trying to help no black male. <laughs> if I'm being, if I'm being a hundred, they're not really focused on that. We're here. Uh, and they're happy to have us here. It, it, it keeps the quotas up. It keeps that money flowing in. But they're not. There's not a lot of outlets to support um, people, men of color. Um, so they, men of color, have created their own outlets. From uh, Victor Younger, um, he's a brother of Phi Beta Sigma. He created a space for black men to come together. Swag, which has been predominantly managed and ran by a lot of alphas, but there's a lot of other black male students who have taken on that initiative. Bernard comes to mind, who's taken on that initiative to just be able to give the insight that they had to other students. Um, and again, that's a lot easier said than done when you're coming into a space that isn't supposed to be for you. Um, and other than generally speaking, no one is really pushing you to take the initiative to conquer these spaces. So I felt like, again, just even going back to like the, the my chapter, um, I, I, I was placed in such a unique um, situation in which, again, I had an influx of information and insight from so many different generations about how to excel at Cornell. And that pushed me to want to take on different leadership positions. I mean, I was already in those leadership positions before becoming an alpha, but it only allowed for, I felt like for that, for the brand of alpha, but also for the brand of different organizations I was a part of to grow and the insight and the exposure to like excelling um, for a lot more people to see that. Um, and I, and I definitely, it definitely changed my trajectory. Um, here at Cornell, and it changed the way that I engage with different students. Because again, everybody that I looked at, I would just say, "How can I help?" Um, and then it was like, "Nah, I don't want to help. How can I serve you? How can I like quite literally like How can I serve you? Um, how can I be of any assistance in any capacity? Like, and some things I quite literally won't be able to do. So I'll gear you towards somebody that I know who can do it. And I felt like I found that being my experience a lot. Um, finding finding support from a lot of and I went particularly black women, like undoubtedly black women being able to say, I don't know this, but I know for sure that she knows this and she'll be able to help you and be willing to help you. And and, it, and it's not, and it, it is, I would say primarily black women, but also a lot of other black men, um, a lot of just people of color in general, a lot of resources that are, that are small, but they are, are allocated to support and diversity initiatives, diversity and inclusion thinking about spaces like Wadi, thinking about programs like P3, um, thinking about even the EOP and HOP cohort, um, me going back to them and saying like, hey, like being able to tell students like you're a part of EOP and HOP, there are resources you are able to access. Um, you're not just a part of this program just to be a part of this program. Um, so I, I think that just even bringing it again full circle um, with, with black men in particular, um, there is a, a huge focus on just doing well and getting out of here. 
I, like that you don't want to be here for any longer than you need to be. And it's not always four years for everyone. It doesn't need to be four years from everyone. I mean, the architecture program for itself is five years, you know? So people are so quick to be like, I need to do this in an in X period amount of time. It's not that it's, I mean, it's about nurturing and growing in this space, but also taking advantage of what you do have available to you. Um, and I mean, I, that's what I try to do. And that's why I try to push other men around me to do. And, not everyone, not everyone, and I say if it's through and through, not everyone needs to be or hold a position to do that. Um, not everyone needs to be affiliated with a given organization or needs to be an alpha or needs to be part of BSU or part of SWAG to kind of conquer and take all the initiatives and the opportunities and the resources that are available here. But it makes it, it puts you in those spaces to want to give it to others. Um, and that's kind of what I've been in from, like, you know, to being a freshman up in BSU. And then I was just a lot of spent a lot of time with swag. Um, and, it, and it, swag is now revitalizing itself. My brothers at the chapter, I think, I, and other people as well, but many other people as well. But um, from swag to being an engaged ambassador for the Office of Engagement Initiatives to working with SOSA for a time, being able to create a fellowship program with them um, that's focused on like high school and like helping high school students go to college, um, changing their insight. And like, even, even that social program, I really want to highlight that. Like there were people who, who were like, who said, I can't go to an Ivy league, who go to Cornell now, you feel me? Who in high school, like I would, there's no way I'll be able to go to Ivy league. Their top schools were schools that they were also looking for that would be able, that would be cheaper just because they were public schools. And I was like, yo, you don't know that Cornell got that money. They'll be able to make it happen for you if you show that you want to be here. And, and I, I got, and now I get to walk by and see them on campus. Man, I like that. I feel like it's probably one of the greatest things I was able to do here at Cornell. Um, but even from there, like, again, just different organizations and things I was able to be affiliated with. And then I was like, I'm going to take advantage of it, like Cornell, becoming a Cornell Tradition Fellow. So being able to get additional funding for the service initiatives and the work that I was doing on campus. It, it made it made it so that now that I'm looking back in these last few weeks, um, really like doing like um, a tour, like a, a lap of like, I'm not going to lie. I like to express my gratitude. You've heard it a lot. I like to share my appreciation for the things that, because you wouldn't be here without people. People be capping saying they did it by themselves. It's just not true. So I'm just really going around expressing my thank you. Thank you to the, these different um, people and um people and like organizations that did change my life. I think about Steph a lot. Um, 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 she's a part of Wadi who like first told me and talked to me about imposter syndrome and like, just was like a, like a, a real resource, you know, like I'm not just a, I'm not just a part of this organization, but if you need to email me, call me, like I, I will be there. And she, I've, I've had that with her at times on which when the pandemic hit and I was like, yo, I don't know who to talk to right now. She was somebody that I was able to talk to. And um, I just think about different things like that, that really made it so that um, my my Cornell experience made it so that, you know, it, people could see me as a leader, but it really was, how can I help those around me? How can I serve those around me? Whew. Too often, you know, we do tell those stories to ourselves, those lies. Oh, I got here by myself. But you've, you've mentioned uh, so many people that supported you along the journey. And I think that, that that shows a lot of humility. I love that. And I can I can say the same in my story, especially at Cornell. I won't get into it. But I, there are so many people that I think for my journey here. Listen, I want to ask you now, um, 
and 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 by the way, shout out to Bernard and all the people that you talked about who are who did help, you know, help continue and try to cultivate those spaces for black men on campus in particular. And it's a conversation that needs to continue to be had. So I'm glad that we're having part of it here. Listen, I'm gonna just be honest, Lazan. Having a black man or you know, talk about education so passionately is uh, is so refreshing, and especially talking about younger kids, children, et cetera, like that is very refreshing. I I can name a plethora of black women in my life, but you know the the black men role models are very you know it's a very small group. But those that I do have, almost all of those black men are educators. So uh, you know I'm thinking about my my pastor. He was educated for 25 years. I'm thinking about my, both of my mom's older brothers. One's an ROTC instructor now. Um, he's retired from the military. And then my older uncle, he's been principal, superintendent, et cetera, et cetera. So all of them, and then my even my granddad, he wasn't a teacher in like the vocational sense, but he was, you know, a musician and trained a bunch of other little, you know, younger younger musicians or mentors. So all of the black men I feel like have been very impactful, took on some mentorship or role in some way. So it's it's refreshing then to hear you talk about going to education because we definitely need black men in education. Uh, now, what does that though, and this is sort of my last question, I guess really is just like, what does that look like for you in your future? Um, I would say, um, and, and, and I hear that, I, like, to like, cause I, I know I, I can often give long-winded answers and I don't know exactly what's in store for me next, but I do have a, a vision that I have in mind um, that I hope to be able to bring it to fruition. And it, and it comes with like expanding our, the way that we look at education, the opportunities that we have. Um, because my bro right now bringing me a charger clutch, I always need that. Um, I definitely need that, uh, but it's really in the vein of um, like just changing the way that we take a look at um, taking a change, taking a taking a change, or changing the way we take a look at our education system. So I'm really hoping to kind of create programs and initiatives that are similar to ones that have existed in the past. I don't want to name them because I might get copyrighted ten years from now. If they become I don't know, maybe I assume me 10 years from now if I become really successful, I don't know. But like, nah, let me stop. I, I think of programs like Harlem Children's Home, um, for example, managing, like created by Jeffrey Canada. He had a, he has um a bunch of like different articles and like, um, um, like movies about it. But one thing that comes to mind, um, he wears like super, he's like, it's like Superman don't come to the hood. Um, and like, why would he, you know, because of, why would he? Because we need to actually come back to our, our spaces and our communities. And that's something that I've really been thinking a lot about. Um, something I think a lot about now, just because um, I'm hoping to be able to go into, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to go back to my community and create like an education program, unlike the ones that we've seen in the past. Something like Harlem Shorter Zone, in which I'm entering spaces and empowering other people who want to support people and their personal passions. Harlem Trader Zone is extremely unique because it was community-centered, community-focused, and it made it so that people who wanted these different opportunities um, were able to find it through the mentorship of people within their community. 
not from people outside of it. So I'm really hoping to expand our education initiatives so that we're developing students for what they're passionate about, but they're seeing that development come from people within their community. So it, it won't, it's, it can't, like, again, it can't be done alone. Um, I think that what I have in mind is, and it's a series of different ideas, but it, it goes back to just changing how we develop our students, not only focusing on the cognitive school of thought, um, making it so that the behavioral school of thought, the humanistic school of thought has just as much value in our curriculum, um, that you're not grading students on what they're able to say at a given point in time or memorize by a given point in time, but how much they've grown over a period of time. And I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you, like even being a government major here at Cornell, like I'm hoping for this to be like something that we implement into our public education system. Um, so it's gonna take a long time for that to happen, I'm gonna be honest. Um, I, but I, that's the, that's, I'm gonna be honest, that is the true vision. I'm hoping to enter spaces and really change how we look at our education system because people, we can work within the systems that we already do have, yes. However, objectively speaking, everyone not fit that you talk to will let you let it be known that that is the problem. And change is viable. Change has been made. Um, and if you think you're beaten, you are. And we're not beaten yet. You know, like we're not defeated. Like we can change a lot of things within our education system. So that's what I'm really looking and hoping to do. Um, I, I really, and that will come from, and even a conversation that already recently happened, it's going to come and start with working with communities that don't already have it. I don't want to create a wheel or create a program in, in, a, in, in a school that could give me all the resources and just say, hey, hey, thank you for this, this, this third party program. We're now focused on diversity and inclusion. Now nah, it's not that. It's definitely not that. It's really, um, it's really creating practical change um, by going into schools in which you're seeing students who don't believe they can excel and making them believe that they can excel. Um, and that might mean changing our education system. Like, I, I definitely am leaning a lot more towards that, but like, who, who knows? I think with life, I'll learn a lot more with the experiences and hopefully some more degrees. I mean, not hopefully, well, definitely with some more degrees. Um, I'll definitely be able to like, well, I need to get this Cornell degree first. Got a few more right. weeks. But like, th that is definitely the goal. Um, the goal is to really be able to enter these spaces and change the way that we're looking at education. Um, and I think with that, then we'll see different programs and initiatives come about. Um, but that's really what my passion is when it comes to education. I hope that like answers your, your question. Really does. I think that uh, I think that your home will be glad to have you, and I think that they definitely need you. Uh, and it's it's a dilemma that a lot of black kids and coming up, and then also making it quote unquote out, you know have is what is going to be my relationship to home. And I think that you've chosen a decision that a lot of Black young people our age have to consider. It's not always easy. Um, you know, home, you know, people's conception of home may be, I need to go back to, you know, my mom and dad, but a lot of people may not have that sense of home. But at least, um, you know, some of us are more fortunate to be able to say, all right, I, it, it, I can go home and also feel supported by people that I know love me, which is even in that is a, a privilege. So I'm grateful for that. And even if you aren't able to do that, make sure that uh, that you in some way contribute back into the lives of people that look like you that are coming back 
that are coming through some of the same hardships and I feel like challenges that you may have faced as well. I think that's really important too. And just pouring into other people's lives is important too. Listen, Lasan, any final thoughts you want to have before we close us out, man? Give the man, I wish <laughs> I would just say, I mean, I want to thank you um for letting me chat. I'll be chatting, but like it really is, it comes from a I, and I ain't even going to do that. I know you're going to. No, listen, I want to hear you. And the reason I'm not going to, I didn't stop you until just now, but <laughs> I didn't stop because I don't want you to make any excuses. I think for me, hearing my hearing my brothers talk is something that I don't get to do a lot, believe it or not. I think that it's just, I don't, it's something I just don't get to do a lot. And I think that, um, I like hearing you think through what you're going to do and who you are and where you come from and how you persevere past it, the the ways in which you have matured and had to reconsider some things and be like all of those things that takes a level of vulnerability and a level of, you know, emotion. I feel like emotional vulnerability. You only realize it that black men are always able to do. So nevertheless, I love hearing you chat. Continue. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you hit it on the head. That's why I just wanted to, like, genuinely just thank you for having me. Thank you for, like, the work that you're doing. Uh, I'm not going to lie. We're going to look back. Now, I don't know how many years from now. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm counting on It's going to be less than the amount of my hands, though, mm-hmm. where 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 you're where you're doing the thing, you know? You know the rest of the world, the, the entire world is able to kind of see that you've really amplified our voices because you know you hit it on the head. Um, black men, if we just being transparent, are open and like kind of just talking about these things. Where like we noted earlier on, you got your focus. You want to stay focused on what you got to do, and that makes it so that a lot of times we're not able to have these conversations. But these conversations, this type of insight, I felt like um from 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 you really um like these type of spaces that you're creating is going to do wonders. It's going to do wonders for the black, for the black experience. Um, and I, I really just thank you for letting me chat. Like I, like you said, I, you really want to let me talk, but like just having the chance to kind of share my story um, because I felt like um, everybody's story is unique. And I'm really hoping that in the long run, I'm able to create change for people who do resonate with my experience um, because I, I, and then just even bringing it back to like, wow, like when I wrote, when I applied for college or really saying like, I want to be able to talk about the forgotten people who don't, are, aren't able to, excuse me, who aren't able to share their stories or even get to a place in which their stories are being recognized beyond what mainstream, mainstream media and the rest of the world thinks of them so i mean i think you you keep doing your thing bro we're gonna be able to chat whenever we got a few more weeks until we graduate so let's definitely enjoy that um i don't really have i i i like i could i could could talk forever so i mean again i just wanted to say thank you um if i didn't i don't want i would i didn't come in here with the intention of shouting you people out but like yes um, please please a lot of other people i have in mind that definitely has like shown me a lot of love from um again I gotta always show love to my mom, my dad, Hussein Bagayoko, Fusani. That's my twin. I love him. I love I love you. Like if you hear this, like I love him. He's like again, it's just a vein of like that support from my my twin. I, I've always had that brotherly support. Um he's the better reflection of me, regardless of what people think. Um I say that undoubtedly. So like um, I just want to thank again those teachers and the um the inspirations that I that have helped me got got here. Um I definitely see y'all, I definitely appreciate y'all. I did not get here alone, but we're gonna keep it moving so I can 
build that legacy um, or build the tradition or whatever that y'all that y'all have set forth. Um, I'm really, and then also shout out Molly. You noted it earlier. And this is one thing I guess I do want to kind of pose out on. People don't have the privilege of being able to go back and home, whether their mom and dad home, being able to even go back to some community, calling that home for various different reasons. You noted it. It is a privilege. Um, and I'm hoping, again, with our education system, for people to be open to developing and nurturing themselves within the communities that are meant to educate people. Um, that I feel like is ultimately, and when you look at a lot of people who do excel, again, myself, um, I feel like even you know that we do have somebody where people be able to go back and be like, you supported me, you're my family. And our school should be that as well. Um, when you're spending so much time with somebody, like it should be that. Um, so that's what I'm really hoping to do, create more families throughout the world in which people are willing to go back and say, you help me get to where I'm at. Let me help you or help whatever vision that you have. And then even in that capacity, you hear me and I, you hear me say this all the time, helping them become served. Because once you look into a space and you're able to be like, ah, I want to do something different and you actually immerse yourself into that community, you're now equal to them. For real, for real. You're always equal to them. Everybody equal. You'd be thinking otherwise. We all equal. You know, so once you're in a space in which you're like, I I know what you need, you may need. And I'm, I, I came in with an vision or an intention of being able to provide what I have to help you now serving. And that's what you want to do. Um, so that's what I'm really hoping to do really for the, to, to the wheels fall off, you know. So that's, 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 that's really like kind of my goal. And again, I just want to thank you again. Um, shout out Fools. I got to shout them out again. Shout out um, the brothers of the chapter. Who, you know, who are always able to always hear from me when I need them. Um, shout out the people with swag and BSU, those people who really push me into these leadership roles. Um, I want to shout out all the black women who supported me um, from Ashley to Latoya to Toyosi to Carly um, to Jada to Trinity. Um, and this goes on and on because, like, yeah, def- they definitely changed my outlook and my perspective on a lot of different things. Um, like even like a shout out. I'm not even gonna shout out these women yet because they're gonna show them, show you all what they could do at Miss Black and Gold. But definitely, I want to shout out our black, uh, our black and gold women as well who show and embody um, the excellence and the beauty of black women here at Cornell. I don't want to give. I don't want to get any anything that I shouldn't be seeing yet. <laughs> but um, like I, I just I gotta say all of these things because again, and this is just a reality for me. You, you, I, I gotta show love to the people who help me get here. Um, Cause I would not, I did not get here by myself. Um, and, and people, people, I feel like sometimes often forget that. So I just wanted to note that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those people you named, they changed my outlook and perspective as well. So I, I love that you gave them a shout out. And uh, I tell you just listen, how can we stay in contact with you? Uh, I'm not a social media person, so if you try to find me on the socials, you might find me, but I might not follow you back. No disrespect. And that's just because I don't use social media, like for real, for real. Um, but I would say follow me on like LinkedIn, like on a real tip. But I do be on LinkedIn. I know it's kind of weird. I don't post on LinkedIn. I don't post on social media with all due respect. Follow, find me. I always say find me in real life, like for real. When I say that in the capacity of I'll always be around. I always create spaces in which you can connect with me. But my email, my email is lb672 at cornell.edu. 
my other email, my other email is Lasan Bagayoko, L-A-S-S-A-N-B-A-G-A-Y-O-K-O at gmail.com. I know you're like, why are you giving me your email? I've been reading my emails. Right. My inbox is at zero and all my emails. Uh, I, I, so and I say again, just bringing a full circle. I don't, I'm not a social media person. So if you do try to follow me, I may not be able to get back to you on that capacity. Really not trying to be Hollywood. I have more, whatever. I'm not a social media person. I don't, it's just not my, not my space. So, like, um, please, and people do reach out to me by email all the time. If you reach out to me via social media, I'll try to respond. I'm, I will respond. I will respond. That's just not how I like to go about things. So, just, again, please feel free to reach out to me in any capacity. Um, social media is an option. My emails are available. Um, find me. Like, again, I'll be around. So, if you do see me, feel free to stop me and ask me whatever. I'm going to talk to me. I love chat. And as you can hear, see. So, um, Yeah. You know what's so funny? I always have to pull net IDs out of people when I have them. So I love that you just laid it out. I don't think anybody's ever just laid out the email. Because, you know, um, it's like, because people, I mean, this is a lot, and I'm no, no knock to them, but social media is the future. I should be on social media so more I'm being a hot, but that's just not my realm. It's just not, I'm just not a social media person, I guess. I don't yeah, know. I respect it. Nah, I respect but, it. But, yeah, I guess my ad is don't assign James. I'm not gonna hide it. I'm not. A, right. I'm not trying to hide myself. Uh, right. Like y'all can follow me on social media. Like I just don't be there to be honest. Like that's just not where I'm at. But, now you had me looking at my email. Mine is not a zero. So please, if you email me, it's a, it's a fifty fifty shot. It's like no. Um, <laughs> I'm at six hundred and thirty eight emails unopened. Don't judge me. I got uh, I got four right now, and I'm gonna click through them all. You'll click like, through right them all right now, right after this. Listen, y'all. Yeah, you can't. Trying to keep my inbox empty at all times. Oh my gosh. I love it. Listen, we've had Lasan. Thank you so much, Lasan, for coming today. Listen, y'all, to see when more new and upcoming episodes of Black Voices on the Hill and for other Cornell and Ithaca news, be sure to follow us at Black Voices on the Hill on Instagram, uh, Twitter as well. Be sure to follow WVBRFM News. Visit us at wvbr.com slash black voices subscribe on apple google spotify overcast all podcast platforms listen you can tell alexa i want to hear black voices on the hill listen tune in right here on wvbr 93.5 every friday at 2 p.m and the episode releases the following tuesday at 11 a.m we'll see you next week shout out to my executive producers mike sight grace fairchild peace out family